This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. And there it is. That's as good as it gets on this stage. Nissan Townstar EV strikes again. It's an unstoppable van. Unstoppable. Look, just fantastic. You can actually see the ProPilot technology in action. Effortless parallel parking. It moves with all the confidence that comes with a five-year warranty. And with a bench full of all-star van experts, there's real strength in depth here. That's all-star quality. Search Nissan Townstar EV and visit your local all-star van centre to see for yourself. Terms and conditions apply. Five years or 100,000 miles, whichever comes first. ProPilot is an advanced driver assist technology. Driver's responsibility to stay alert, drive safely and control vehicle at all times. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the result, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. So the only thing left to say is, you in? Order now on the McDonald's app, and you can also get rewards points delivered too. So that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants, 18 plus. Rewards registration required, points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Hello and welcome to Albion Analysis with me, Chris Hall, and him, Pete George. And to all those out there that celebrate it, a very Merry Christmas. And a Merry Christmas to you as well, Pete. I hope you had a had, had a lovely, lovely Christmas period. Um, not talking to me, which must have been must have been deeply enjoyable. Yeah, cheers and Merry Christmas to you too. And um yeah, and topped up topped off with an Albion win as well. So couldn't ask for much more. Absolutely. Fantastic win on Boxing Day against Bristol City. Um, a, a largely dominant win, other than a, a slightly iffy, probably 15-minute spell towards the end of uh, end of the first half. Again, with the proximity of games, we are going to rattle through it today. So this will be about a half an hour pod, very much the same as the last one was. Um, so uh, apologies if we don't go into quite as much depth as we usually would. But when you've got such a such a run of games in such a short period of time, it kind of has to be it has to be like uh, like this, because otherwise the the um, the pod is dated before you've even had a chance to listen to it. But Pete, let's jump into it straight away. And before we actually get into the the game and some of the some of the top performers in in the game and look we all know there was one standout performer in in that game who was just I mean uh, I know a number of the, the the Albion accounts like to do man of the match votes and and I I really enjoy them and I think they're they're really nice it's a waste of time this week there was only one man of the match and we will come to OK Yokoslu in some in some depth a little bit later on I want to go back to really the first two or three minutes of the game. Because it all could have been so, so different, couldn't it? Because Bristol City go through with a one-on-one, I think it was about the third minute. And Alex Palmer comes out and makes a big, big save. And I'm looking at that and it just triggered with me that that's not the first time I've seen Alex Palmer do that early doors in a game. Make a big save, give us a platform to go on and win the game. And it it just struck me that we spent a lot of time under Steve Bruce 
talking about how we would concede early in games and how it just gave us no platform to go and build upon to actually go and win the football match. It gave us a really long way back. But Palmer... And he did have iffy moments in the game. I'm not hiding. I'm not hiding away from that. There was one awful pass out which nearly put us in all sorts of trouble. So I'm not saying he had an imperious performance by any stretch of, uh, of the imagination. It certainly wasn't up there with with as good a performance as he turned in at Coventry, where he was very unlucky to be on the losing side. But Pete, those sort of moments, early doors in games, give us a platform to build upon. And again. I don't want to get on at David Button because hopefully we've moved on from him now. But they were the sort of things that Button wasn't doing for us. Palmer's been brilliant since he's come in. Um, he has had a couple of iffy moments in games. Um, there was one or two against Coventry and again against Bristol City. But on the whole, he's been very good. I mean, he's apart from the first game under Corbran, he's, he's not conceded in open play, has he? So, Well, not just open play, but he hasn't conceded apart from goals that have come from the penalty spot. So, and I mean, that's a brilliant statistic. Um, he's massively overperforming when his expected goals conceded. And he's, like you say, constantly and consistently saving us um, in different parts of games, especially in early periods. And, I mean, I just think if you, if Bruce is looking back on it and if maybe if he'd brought him in, brought Palmer in early, then he might have saved Bruce's job as well. I agree with that. I said that, and I saw Chris Lutkowski tweeted something similar as well. That uh, and you've got you've got to wonder what Bruce was looking at. That I, I you know I appreciate managerial loyalty, and and it is a big decision to change your goalkeeper. But my goodness me, I mean it, genuinely, Pete, I, I don't think we'd be where we are if if Bruce if Bruce had changed the goalkeeper and stayed as manager. I don't think we'd be six wins from the last seven, but. I do think there's a possibility Steve Bruce could well still be manager of this football club if after four or five games of the season, rather than was it eleven that he changed it um, uh, that he changed it with with Button. If if after four or five games of the season, if he'd switch goalkeepers, I think he could well still be West Brom manager. Which may have been him doing us a favour as well because the performances under Gorbrand have massively improved as well. Not just the goalkeeping performances, but the performances of the whole team. So. If we did still have Bruce in charge, then maybe we would be doing a bit better with Palmer in goal. But I can't imagine we would have won, what is it now, six out of the last yeah, seven? Yeah, six of seven. Six of seven. Yeah, I can't imagine we'd be there and pushing on spots for, uh, the, pushing on the playoff spots coming into the new year. So I think we can kind of be grateful maybe that Bruce didn't um, change keepers a bit earlier and that, that Colbrand managed to come in and, and do exactly that. Well, and, and let's put the numbers on it, Pete three points off the playoffs with um, a better goal difference as well than the two teams on 35 points that we that we are that we're chasing Norwich and Norwich and Millwall and uh, uh, Millwall have got a game in hand on us but Norwich were on the same games as and I mean Norwich seem in free fall at the at, at the moment as well Preston to come who if we were to beat we would go uh, go above I mean all of these are if if spots and maybes I, I appreciate that but you can understand why we would feel confident about going into a home game and winning when you've just won six of the last seven. It's incredible, really. Yeah, and I put out of his um, yesterday and it was just showing the basically the level of performance on when you look at the expected goals, well, the expected goal difference. And it's basically shot up since Corbrand's um, been appointed and it's kind of bouncing between being at the level of a automatic promotion team and a team that finishes in the playoffs. So we're definitely 
got the, the right level of performance um, throughout the whole team, not just the goalkeeper. We we're a lot more solid, conceding a lot less chances and creating more chances. So I think current the form that we're currently in can can definitely continue long term. Well, and it's worth pointing out that that's what we needed as well, because uh, be, because uh, because I remember having this conversation with one of the one of the Twitter accounts. Um, before the Black Ball game, it actually was, um, who the, the, the lovely guy called Clint puts, uh, puts out, um, what percentage chance he thinks we have of, uh, of, of promotion after each, before each game week and, or after each game week. I can't remember which, which it is. But anyway, he, he sort of put out that he was at about 20% or something like that before the, before the Black Ball game. And, and I went back to him going, look, no disrespect, but, I think it's much, much lower than that because you actually, if you looked at the least amount of points that has ever been achieved to finish six in the championship, we needed to perform at that point in time. This is before we beat Blackpool. We needed to perform like a second place, an average, uh, on an average season, a team that would finish second. We needed to perform like that to finish six. Now, obviously, at the moment, six wins out of seven, we're performing way above a team that would actually finish first. But the reality is, to get ourselves back into contention, to get ourselves back into the mix, we needed to perform as the best team in the division, probably for 10 games in a row, Pete. And that's still probably what we need. The fact is, we've performed as the best team in the division for the last seven games, I think I actually haven't looked at Burnley's run of games because they're the only ones who I imagine would be able to challenge that record. But we are we are playing like a top table topping team. But the fact is, from where we were, bottom of the table, to get ourselves into this position, that's what we needed to do to have any shot at the playoffs. And it is unbelievable. I don't think it should, because I I saw a lot of negativity after the Coventry game. And and I think we said it on this podcast, calm down. Because six wins out of seven, you cannot begin to describe how hard that is to do. And if we do go and lose to one of Preston or Reading, just calm down. Because if it is, if it is six wins out of eight or whatever, or, or seven wins out of nine, say, that is still an unbelievable run of form that spread out over a whole season would win you the league. Yeah. And Coventry are a very good side as well. So it's even less to worry about. I think, I mean, they played Sheffield United yesterday and towards the end of the game, Sheffield United looked like they were struggling. And if it wasn't for a Yakarez missed penalty, then, um, Coventry could have easily been back in the game and, pushing for a draw or a win and Sheffield United are deservedly I think they're second on goal difference now but you know they've been one of the best teams so losing to Coventry on from a 93rd minute penalty is definitely no disgrace and um, it's important that we've bounced straight back and, and got the win and not kind of a gone on a little run of, of losses or draws but so hopefully we can continue that in the next couple of games as well. Let's look at that Bristol City game, Pete, because I was just, I was just, you, you know, I'm a massive advocate of who scored. I know you, you use some slightly more in-depth tools than, than I, but I, I love who scored for my data. And I was looking at, looking at what it was saying about us. And it was actually saying quite similar things to the Coventry game that we were, that, that we were playing quite well on, uh, on the counter attack. Um, and, and that we were trying to play through balls. But the big difference that I noted between the who scored report on this game and the uh, and the who scored report on the Coventry game was that against Bristol City, we were very, very strong at winning the ball back. We won the midfield battle. 
did we play it, it was this basically the game we tried to play against Coventry but doing it more successfully is that what we is that what we did it on uh, against Bristol City on Boxing Day we played our game that we played against Coventry but we just did it more successfully and more effectively I think so I think we like to I think Coburn he likes to keep the balls the ball at times but also sometimes likes to sit a bit deeper and kind of invite pressure on and, and try and um, attack quickly in those moments and counter-attack when we will win the ball back and kind of take advantage of the opposition stepping up and, and leaving a lot of space in behind them and I mean we certainly did that for the first goal with the, it was a brilliant through ball from Townsend um, through the back line and into a lot of space and Phillips got onto it and then I think I mentioned it yeah, can I just say on that, Pete, if if Rogic or Swift or Wallace had played that through ball, I just, I, maybe I'm being a little bit unfair here, and we will talk about Connor Townsend in a lot more depth a bit later on, but I think people would be getting a lot more excited about that through ball than, uh, and, and maybe they're not, just simply because it was Connor Townsend. Yeah, I, I see what you're saying. I think it's quite unfair to criticise Townsend's passing because it's probably one of the best passers um, well, forward passes of the ball. Um, you know, he tops the charts for the Albion squad in terms of passes into the final third. He's second for progressive passes, um, and he's yeah. When I, I look at it, well, from... he's also he's also only behind Swift, Wallace, Dean Garner, and Rogic for key passes as uh, as well, Pete. Which is which is incredible for a left back and a guy who's played left centre half for chunks of the season as well. Yeah, he's, he's vital for us in possession. And I'm, I think I'm right in saying that he has the most touches per 90 of the whole Albion squad, which kind of just tells you how much uh, our play goes through him and how important it is that he is a good passer of the ball. Um, so I think in terms of that, he's he's vital. Um, it's passing because a lot of the time that's how we, especially in more settled possession and, and slower build-up, it's generally through Townsend that we move the ball forwards. We don't really have the players in midfield to do it centrally and um, Townsend is very good at it and definitely better than Furlong at right back so more settled on the ball and slow build up Townsend is vital um, and then as well against Bristol City with that pass he showed that he's he can be excellent as well in terms of playing a bit faster and, and sliding through balls through as well so um, a really really important player and passer of the ball for Albion Heavily underrated by the fan base because I think, uh, I, uh, or some of the fan base, because I see a lot of people saying the fullbacks are our primary problem. We need to replace the two fullbacks. Um, I look, I, I find Furlong a little inconsistent, if I'm perfectly honest. And we spoke about this last season. I think Darnell Furlong can be, be the sublime to the ridiculous at times, but I, th- I find Connor Townsend fairly, uh, fairly consistent. I, I think he's a good player and I think he's massively underrated by chunks of, uh, of our fan base. Yeah. He, he, you know, he occasionally has an iffy game. He made some bad decisions against Sunderland. It was a stupid decision for the penalty. But generally speaking, when you, it's not just going forward that he's important for us, but also defensively, third most equal third most tackles won in the entire squad. He's also got the most clearances of any player who's not a centre half, because obviously centre halves are going to have the most clearances in in the squad, and he he gets dribbled past 0.2 times per game on average. So basically, what that's saying is. He only gets dribble pass once every five matches. Furlong is twice that. I, I just, th- I just think he's chronically underrated, Pete. Possibly because he's not, he's not this dynamic 
fullback. And I think when you when you'd watch Kieran Gibbs before him, Kieran Gibbs was an extremely different type of fullback. And I, I, I mean, he he offered something very different. Kieran Gibbs got much higher up the pitch. Um, he 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 linked with Grady Dean Garner directly. He was going on the overlap. He was quicker. And, and Townsend is never going to do those things. But actually, in terms of his passing, he is a massive, massive threat. And you look at his defensive numbers, and he doesn't make a lot of mistakes. As a championship fullback, Pete, I don't really get what more you can expect to have. You can't expect to have Roberto Carlos at this level. I think Connor Carlos is about as good as we can, we can expect to have, and I think he's a really rock-solid player at this level. He's got some um, defensive issues which I've spoken about before, mainly that he can get pulled out of position quite easily, especially if somebody's threatening to make a run in behind, then he'll kind of track that run a bit too much sometimes and, and pull the back line out of line. So, Is that part, part of why he looked such a fish out of water at centre-half? Potentially. Um, so, yeah, when he does that, he, he kind of just plays everyone else on side as well, which, I mean, if I was an opposing team, I'd be trying to make the most of that, have players making runs against Townsend, dragging him out of position and then playing the ball to someone else who's got a bit more space behind the defensive line that's no longer like a flat line, if you know what I mean. Um, I think that's probably his biggest defensive issue. Obviously, defensive stats are quite difficult to use because it's not necessarily a good thing if you make loads of tackles and loads of interceptions. Sometimes it's better just to be in the right position to stop yourself from even having to make a tackle. But the one no, that you but mentioned... equally, if you've, if you've got a high percentage of successful tackles that's you know at least it means that when you are going into a tackle you're doing so successfully exactly and the one that you mentioned about um being dribble past he's our highest he's got a highest percentage um success rate against people that dribble enough against him so you mentioned that i think he gets dribble past uh 0.2 times per 90 so once every five games um well he's got an 85 percent success rate of tackling the people that do try to dribble past him, which is the highest in the squad, and quite comfortably as well. I think Eric Peters is second highest with 80%, so Townsend's 5% higher, so he's very good one-on-one, which is important. Um, and then, yeah, on the ball, he's, he's excellent in terms of his passing. He does get forward at times and puts in some crosses and, and helps out with, you know, trying to create overloads. And I just think if we we did try and replace him, then you could potentially maybe get someone as a better pure defensive fullback, um, I don't think it'd be particularly easy because I think he is solid at this level. But well, especially with the lack of money we seem to have. Well, we're getting five million in in two days' time, so we'll. Uh... <laughs> we, yeah, 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 yeah. Let's we, we'll wait and see. We'll wait and see whether that's five million or five million of our own money or what it, what, what what exactly that looks like. Five million borrowed on twelve percent, probably. But regardless, yeah, I think even if we did try and replace him. Anyone that he did bring in, you'd really struggle to to bring somebody in with the same quality that Townsend has on the ball, which is very important to to how we play. So I don't think we will be able to sign someone that has a a more positive impact on the the whole of the team rather than just the defensive side. I think the other thing that's really telling with Townsend is is how many managers have have trusted him. Um, you look, you go back to Big Sam. And from February onwards, um, Connor started every single game for us in the Premier League, 17 games in a row, 17 Premier League game, uh, games in a row. Then last, uh, last season under, um, Ishmael slash Bruce, 
43 of 46 games. Uh, I think most of the games he missed at the end anyway were due to the fact that he he just had a child and they were the last couple of games of the season. Um and then uh, and uh, and then he's he's appeared he hasn't started all of them but he's appeared in 24 of 24 league games this season and that's across that that's across four managers that's across Corbran, Bruce, Ishmael and, and Allardyce. Well, I mean, I know I know a couple of those managers have not been particularly adored by the Albion faithful, but they, surely they can't all be wrong, can they, Pete? No, and I don't like saying that a player must be good just because he's been picked by multiple managers because then it kind of takes out whether you can actually question the manager. And I'd say maybe someone like Steve Bruce, with the way they were heading, we definitely should be able to question him. But And he maybe hasn't had that much competition in the past since Gibbs left, but certainly this season... Eric Peters has come in and Corbrand seems to like him. He's starting, well, in the last couple of games, he started every game in centre-back, maybe because we don't have many options in centre-back currently that are fit. Um, but yeah, I think if, if Corbrand didn't like Townsend and didn't see his value, then he would probably try and move. Well, Ajayi would have probably been straight back in as soon as he was fit enough to, to sit on the bench, wouldn't he? If, if yeah. he really disliked uh, Connor Townsend. Yeah, precisely. Um, Eric Peters would have shifted over and Ajay would have been straight back in because, well, we know that Ajay is a very useful player to have in your starting 11 in the championship. So yeah, I think, I think Townsend is definitely important and it has been seen by the past few managers. I mean, even since that, I think it was the season we went up under Bilic and that season in the Premier League under Bilic, Townsend really broke into the team and was impressive, even though we had a terrible season. And was showing the quality that he he still does on the ball. He was regularly topping the Albion charts for progressive passes and passes into the final third, etc. So yeah, I think you'd be it'd be very very difficult to replace Townsend with a left back that we can afford that offer the same quality on the ball that he does. Well, let's just move on to talk about the other half of that goal because it was a Townsend pass, but it was a Matt Phillips finish. And anybody who follows me on Twitter knows that I had a, I had a little bit of a nibble when the team sheets were brought out because I uh, I don't usually go into the comments on uh, on on at WBA post because generally the comments annoy me because it, it tends to be keyboard warriors just hammering out their emotions uh, and and i i i i generally find that the comments on a lot of albion posts are are, 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 are not very well thought out and uh, i mean the last time that i went into one and and saw uh, and and again it really annoyed me was on it was when um, livermore made his 200th appearance for the for the club and and the vitriol that was on there about him and i thought it was unnecessary then and equally when i went into the team sheet being announced it was all comments saying what why is matt phillips starting what's matt phillips got, done to deserve a place in the team now first things first that's a total rewriting of history for me. Okay, he was poor against Coventry, but Corbran has trusted him prior to that in a run of five wins. And Phillips has played his part in most of those games. So the idea that Matt Phillips is playing poorly is just, is a fallacy. It's not true. But then obviously Phillips goes and, uh, thank you, Matt, for proving my point, um, scoring after uh, very early on in, in the game. And look, I'll be open about this because I'm, again, I'm not going to sit here and rewrite history. I have not 
always been a fan of Matt Phillips. My, my, my father would be the first one to tell you that he's had to sit next to me at many a game and listen to me complain about Matt Phillips and, and constantly come out with the phrase, when the going gets tough, Matt Phillips is nowhere to be found. And that, that genuinely was my opinion of Matt Phillips up until recently. But I don't know whether he's realised his responsibility as a senior footballer within this squad. But I can't question him in the last, as I say, other than Coventry, where I thought he was poor. In in the last seven games, in fact, even before that, I thought he was our best player against Luton in Bruce's last game. And I think he's played, you know, he obviously scored a good goal against Reading. I actually think it probably in the last dozen games... I can't question Matt Phillips and he's a, he's a player that I have, I have not always liked. So this is not me being a cheerleader for a player. This is a player that I have openly criti- uh, criticized on numerous occasions in the past. But I'm sorry, my opinion has to change because the player's performances have changed and he's, he plays an important role for Corbran, Pete. And I don't know what it is with people. I don't know whether it's because Matt Phillips doesn't dribble past players a lot. And therefore, he's not Grady Dean Garner, and therefore, people can't see the value. But surely anyone with eyes can see that Matt Phillips is an important part of the way Corbran wants us to play, that he comes in a little bit narrower. He gives us a bit more solidity in the middle of the park. And you and I were talking off air and saying that, okay, Grady Dean Garner will stretch the pitch for you. He will make the pitch bigger and he will get out uh, on the outside of players. But I don't think that's how Corbran wants to start games. I think Corbran wants to start games nice and compact and solid. And again, that word, have a platform to build from in the rest of the game. And then he brings on players like Grady Diangana later on in the match when players are tiring to stretch the game a little bit more, maybe even Carl and Grant as well. I think Phillips is ideal to the way Corbran wants to start football matches. What do you think? Warren seems to want to create our best chances in a direct manner, um, like countering as soon as we win the ball back or, as I was talking about earlier, drawing teams onto us, making them step up a bit more and then quickly exploiting the space that they leave in behind. And in terms of that, I think Phillips is probably the best option. Him and Grant seem to suit that more than Deanne Garner does. Phillips is very direct, makes his runs in behind. I suppose similarly with Grant, we've not seen much of him recently, but I think he would be making similar runs in behind and cutting him from the left, um, which seems to be how we're creating our best chances. Like the one that Phillips scored, even Thomas Asante's was, you know, in a transition, we won the ball back and Rogic quickly played the ball forward. I think we spoke about um, Rogic and Thomas Asante's importance in being being able to transi- transition quickly and create chances like that after the Coventry game. Um, it was showed again. But Phillips offers that directness, and um, I think that's important for how Corbin want, wants to play. But with the dribbles you mentioned, I was in a way surprised to see that he's, I think he's top in terms of um, shots created from successful dribbles. But I suppose that doesn't necessarily mean um, taking a player one-on-one, it might be more of a carry, where he runs directly with the ball and then has a shot from that or lays it off to somebody to have a shot. But I think his... Um, yeah, his directness is really important in how we're trying to play um, and how we're trying to move quickly when we've got the ball in deep areas to create our chances like that rather than Grady tends to prefer passes into him quite short and, and then kind of take on the men himself and play little one-twos and stuff, which we may find useful later in the season. 
um, against teams that aren't willing to, to step up a bit more and where we're trying to break down a low block a bit more. But at the minute, Phillips seems to be the obvious choice for Corbran and it's paying off as well. So I personally can't complain about his selection in the start 11. The other thing on Matt Phillips is uh, when you when I uh, you know I mentioned before about giving us a platform to to go on and win games, and this is not a criticism of Grady because uh, b- because because the way he plays his game is innately about tra- taking people on, but he therefore he does lose the ball quite a lot. He's he's dispossessed one point three times a game on on average, and there seems to be this narrative about Matt Phillips that he he loses the ball a lot. He doesn't. He's actually only dispossessed 0.5 times a game, which means on average, Matt Phillips is, has the ball taken off him once every two games. So if you are looking, as I say, to have a platform, particularly away from home early on in games, simple fact, Matt Phillips loses the ball less than Grady Dean Garner. Which is also important, um, especially if you want to be solid early in games. Like I say, I think Corbran goes through periods of keeping the ball and then periods of sitting back and letting the opposition have the ball and we're happy to sit in a, in a low block and, and take our chances on the counter. Um, I think if we were really just dominating games by having the ball, you know, for 90% of the time and in the opposition's half, then, then Grady would probably be more useful because he can um, operate in tighter spaces and, and create chances from there with sharp movements and short, sharp movements, one-twos and, and taking players on. But when you're looking to attack big spaces, I think Phillips is probably better suited for it. Um, and he obviously does the defensive work as well. We've definitely talked about how great he is. He's not lazy and does defensive work as well. Um, so I think it's probably the offensive style rather than quality that... Well, you mentioned, has... you mentioned about the, the, you know coming up against low blocks, Pete. Does the nature of the division help us in that we don't come, ac- come up against low blocks very often? Because we talked on, I think it was the... Um, the it, I think it was the post Coventry pod, or it might have been the one before Coventry, about how Blackburn haven't had a draw this season and find themselves, I think, the second or third in uh, 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 third in the league. Sorry. So, if in, in, in many respects, actually setting up with a low block, there's little value to it at the moment because what Blackburn have showed is that actually, if you can win just win slightly more games than than you're losing and uh, i mean and it is slightly more 13 wins versus 11 defeats but have zero draws in there they're actually going for games and this uh, uh, particularly how tight the table is you can fly up it actually setting up and almost tony pulising and setting up to get a point there's no value in it really in this championship is that there might be later on in the season as you say when when the odd point here and there becomes more valuable to teams needing to stay up or to to just see teams off in the in the playoff race or at the moment but at at the moment where you can literally throw a blanket over the middle of the uh, middle of the uh, the table there's no value to setting up with a low block is there yeah there's probably less value for Teams in that kind of, well, it's quite a big bracket of teams that are within a few points of playoff spots. Um, I think it's probably more down to how we're setting up and how we're we're kind of well. Just just say Pete, a, nine points separating third down to Stoke in seventeenth. Precisely, um, but I think it's quite quite a big part of it is down to how we're setting up as well. In periods of games, we're happy to sit into a low block ourselves, and we look very comfortable when we're doing that. Um, which almost forces teams to come on to us a bit more and then leave the spacing behind them for us to attack when we do win the ball back. So, yeah, I think 
Corbrand's kind of seems to have got a, a tactic and a system that um, is making the most of the players that we've got. And I mean, that's the most important thing a manager can do when they come into a squad, okay, come into a club mid-season, especially when you can't make changes in the playing staff. You've got to, you can't be um, stubborn about the way that you want to play. I think you, if you, especially if you're coming in mid-season, you've got to be adaptable and, and create a, a system um, that gets the best out of the players that you've currently got. And it's certainly getting the best out of you. Okay, your Costler, isn't it, Pete? I mean, what a performance that was against against Bristol City. Absolutely staggering. And you look at the numbers. Most headers won seven. Most tackles won seven. Most clearances five. Most interceptions. Basically, you pull up the defensive data and OK was top of everything. I mean, it is the most cut and dried man of the match I've seen in a long, long while. He was absolutely unbelievable. And to be honest, this is not anything new. He was our best player against Coventry. And I mean, as I say, we've got to be careful with OK because I felt we burnt him out first part of the season, playing him too much when he hadn't had much of a pre-season. But I really hope the few weeks that we had while the World Cup was on have been just so, so beneficial to him because he looks back to his best, doesn't he, Pete? He was, it was a stunning performance against Bristol City. Yeah, absolutely brilliant. He probably completed more defensive actions in that game than any of our players have for the whole season because he was just, I can't remember exactly what it was. I think it was about um, four interceptions and, yeah, four interceptions and five tackles, as well as seven aerial duels won. So he was just, he was everywhere. And that, that's, that's the thing, that's what it felt like. He was every, it felt like there was three of him on the pitch. There was one deep into the, into the second half where Bristol City got, got beyond Connor, Connor Townsend on that left hand side. And I thought, Oh God, they're just going to, they're just going to pull this back to the penalty spot and somebody's going to smash it in and we're going to have a horrible last 10 minutes. And out of nowhere, your Koslu just appears to block it out for a corner. And I thought, where did he come from? Yeah. And if you look at the, the map of where his defensive actions took place, they were just, on the left, on the right, central. So it was just, he was just everywhere. He wasn't just covering like a small area. He was, you know, really covering every blade of gla- gla- glass, grass, as they say. Um, if but, there'd been glass, he'd have covered it, mate. Yeah. Um, and I think he's, you mentioned about burning him out earlier in the season. I think that may have been down to him being asked to do too much. I think quite often we saw him in the final third trying to slip passes through and be involved in stuff there when, it's probably not what we want from him. We literally just want him to sit in front of the back four, protect it, um, stop any counter-attacks. He did exactly that against Bristol City, and I think he looks better for it without being tasked of trying to be the man that breaks down sides as well. All he has to do is break up attacks, lay the ball off to someone, a little five, ten-yard pass, and and just repeat that. And he, when he does that, he, he looks absolutely brilliant and looks like one of the best defensive midfielders in the league. Still had to get a blind square ball into his game, though, didn't he, Pete? Yeah, and he, uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, he definitely scares you when he tries to do that. Yeah, your your heart flutters, doesn't it? Absolutely. Um, that's why for him to uh, just keep it simple, just lay it off to to John Swift or someone, and and yeah, carry on from there. One player who doesn't keep it simple is Brandon Thomas Asante, and and we're more the better for it because he's having his own goal of the season competition, isn't he? I mean. You know, we, we talked on a couple of pods ago about how was Tom Rogic's goal better than uh, than Brandon's bicycle kick? 
Well, I mean, I don't even know how to start measuring these now because that finish, when, as Rogic plays that ball through, I mean, I could see that the keeper had gambled and foolishly as well because it was never on for him to come off. I didn't really know what he was doing, why he, why he'd left a few yards behind him and, and made the lob on. And I wanted Brandon to try it, but I'll be honest. I'll be perfectly honest with you, Pete. I didn't think in a million years he could execute it. Not only does he execute it, it's perfection, isn't it? What a finish. And um, I mean, th- this, this, this kid, like, yeah, okay, he's still raw. And there are moments in games where, like, he maybe takes two, three touches to control a ball where I think an experienced championship player would take one. You, you, you do see the league two in him from time to time. And therefore we need to not get carried away because he is, he is only what? you know a handful of games into a championship career having come from league 2 so we can only expect so much but just the 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 ceiling of him the the potential is staggering when you see some of the goals he is scoring and you couple that with his strength his pace his work rate and i tell you what how much he's going to have the fans on side as well because the fans just love a player who gives everything for the shirt, and he is absolutely that. And he couples with it amazing moments of sheer raw ability. I, I, I can't remember a player picking up a player like him from the lower leagues and seeing them adapt like this and come in. Probably, genuinely, probably the last one was probably when we took Lee Hughes from Kidderminster, and he came in utterly fearless and just took on the division like it wasn't a thing. That's the last time I can remember us picking up a player from right down the divisions and them just not looking scared as they as they as they start their journey at a much higher level. He's yeah, scoring great goals. Um scoring a lot of goals. Was it I think he's on about six now, is it? Five goals. Yeah, he's on five goals. Um and I think he's definitely improved. Um and his technical ability, you mentioned maybe taking more than more touches than other players at this level would, but I think he's definitely looks a lot sharper than he did when he first joined. Whether that's um, just adapting to the the new level, um, I think he's or, working hard, Pete. I think he's just working really, really hard. I think he wants it. Yeah, he definitely seems to, um, and he doesn't seem like the kind of player that's just going to, um, you know, he's got his move to the championship. He's just going to sit back and and just. You know, take his his pay rise that he's got from when he was previously playing in League Two. He seems to want to keep working, um, scoring goals, and earn whatever he gets in the future, whether that be a move to an even higher club or a bigger contract or whatever. He he just seems to want to keep working, keep improving, and yeah, it's it's benefiting us. He's topping the Albion charts in terms of non-penalty expected goals per ninety, so he's getting. Shots off in really good positions um, and doing that regularly. So when you look at that, you you know you can expect the goals to keep coming. It's not like he's just. I mean, some of his goals, are, like you say, they've been ridiculous, and you can't expect to see them every week. Like the, I can't imagine he's going to score too many more bicycle kicks this season. But but it, but it's fearless, isn't it, Pete? Because uh, because it's not it's not the, just the fact that he executes it. It's the fact that he's not scared to try it. How many players have you seen over the years that would actually have taken that chip on first time on Boxing Day? How many players, when that ball pops up against Stoke, would actually think, 
screw it, I'm going to do an overhead kick here. There's so Forget executing it for a second. There's so few that would even be brave enough to try it. That's maybe where he benefits from taking that step up from Lee to because he's just thinking, well, I'm I'm here now. I've just got to give it everything, just see what I can do and, and take some risks. And you've got to be brave to try it. And it probably helps. The one against Bristol City probably was helped by the fact that he recently scored that that bicycle kick, overhead kick against uh, Stoke because he's probably just got so much confidence at the minute and he, he thinks he can do anything. And when you're feeling like that, it, I think it certainly helps as well. Um, but like I say, his, his underlying numbers are very good as well. So despite some of his goals being unbelievable goals like that, he will continue to score whether they're just, even if some of them are just tappings, you know, they all count for the same. And if he can do that and keep competition to DK, then that'll keep DK honest as well. And he'll continue to work hard and have to earn his place in the starting 11 um, rather than just be gifted it because he was our, you know, our big signing this time last year. But then again, does it matter how much, who is, who is in the starting 11, Pete? Because let's just talk about Carlos's use of substitutes. That is five goals from substitutes in the last four games. And we talked about this a few pods ago that maybe with five substitutes, it actually doesn't matter as much who starts. I mean, it does matter because you can lose a game early on. But my point is you don't need to win a game with your starting 11. You can win a game in the last 30 minutes of games. Um, and as I say, I heard Peter on Wingy talking about just that on, on Radio WM a couple of weeks back. And Carlos is certainly doing that, isn't he? You know, as I say, five goals from substitutes in four games is phenomenal. And it just speaks to the quality of his, his squad management. That's the trouble with DK and Thomas Santi, it seems to be, whichever one he starts is one that doesn't score and then he brings the other one on and, and they go and score. So you never know which one to start. But yeah, just in general, the subs have been um, excellent. They've changed the momentum of games. Um, I put out of his uh, showing that, that after the first set of substitutions were made, the, it kind of went from the momentum being just about with Bristol sitting um, to jumping straight back up to us. And, and in that period of momentum, we, we got the second goal, which was... Um, obviously, the the all important goal to just add to that lead and give us a bit of a bit of safety rather than just being you know one conceding one goal away from ending up with a draw. Um, so yeah, Corbran seems to be getting that spot on um, as well as the initial team selection. I don't think you can really have too many complaints with that either. He seems to well at the minute everything just seems to be going going well for Arwen on the pitch and long may it continue. Well, that brings me nicely onto onto my final point, Pete, which is uh, which is that yes, it is it is going very very well on the pitch, but off the pitch there are still an awful lot of concerns, um, rumours of um, uh, of uh, a, a loan or one. In fact, more, far more than rumours. It's basically been confirmed in a letter to shareholders that uh, there will be a loan uh, from MSD Holdings. We don't know how much it will be. We don't know um, what the interest rate will be. But based on the kind of loans that MSD Holdings have given out um, in the past, I think we can assume it's going to be an extremely high interest rate. Um, Action for Albion are uh, ramping up their protests and good on them for doing that. Um, 
v preston they're going to be holding up um white paper on 12 minutes and then shine a light on 57 minutes and then against reading uh, because it's an evening game the shine a light protest will be on 12 minutes and then at the end of the game they are trying to organize a sit-in protest as well because i think they are really really quite worried about the developments that happened just before christmas regarding the virtually the confirmation of the loan basic just just to clarify what the situation is with with the loan that um it, it can go to a vote from shareholders but because we have one majority shareholder who seems to be the one who wants this loan anyway if they vote for it it doesn't matter if all the other shareholders vote against it it still passes and we take the loan because that one shareholder has the has the controlling stake so realistically speaking this loan is happening we are yet to at time of recording on the 27th of uh, of december at 2 p.m we are yet to hear anything about the loan being repaid from from gauchan lai which we were promised would be repaid before the new year so he has four days in which to repay that and as i say rumors of another loan going out how worrying are all these developments, Pete, and how important is it that people now get involved in the protests, whatever they might think uh, about Action for Albion and whether they think that the the protests are going um, far enough. uh, And I know some people would like to go further, but I, I really respect the way Action for Albion are going about this because what they are doing is respectful and they are getting the media at large on side by the fact that they are within the law that they are as i say being uh, being respectful that they're communicating well with their protests and those sorts of things rather than actually breaking ground regulations breaking laws and things like that are are what uh, it makes it easy for the media to report on this in a positive manner and i know that they were mentioned positively at the last albion assembly meeting as well which is also a good sign so how important is it that people get behind these because on mass as a fan base we need to make a statement and how worried are you by this uh, latest potential loan to be added to our debts and the fact that at point of recording we are yet to see anything of this repayment from lie it's very worrying obviously i think it was the Daily Mail reported that we were considering taking a loan out from MSD uh, a month or two ago, and the figures they were reporting, I think, were about a loan of about twenty million and um, an interest rate of about twelve percent, which is extremely high. Twelve um, percent per annum, by the way. So that's that. That's basically if it was a if it was a twenty uh, if if it was a twenty million pound loan. Am I right in saying, Pete? That's um, that's two point two million a year we owe on that. Yeah, um, which is ridiculously high you you're adding that onto the well that's the interest isn't it so you've also got the the principle of the loan to pay as well i'm not sure how long it's reportedly going to be um loaned out for um so i don't know what they'd be looking at repayments per year but it seems to me that if we don't get promotion to the premier league soon then it's going to be very very difficult to be paying a loan back that is a that big and b has interest an interest rate of such a high amount. Um, yeah, I can't really see see where the money's going to come from to pay that back if we if we don't find ourselves in the Premier League um, in the next year or two. Um, so for me, that's very very worrying. And I think what Action for Albion are doing is 
vitally important for the football club. Like you say, the, the protests that they are doing are lawful and respectable. So if there was, they're kind of keeping the uh, channels of communication to the club open by not upsetting the club too much. And there could potentially in the future be some discussion there. I don't, I'd be surprised if. Well, I think that's important. Just to mention, Pete, they have sent an, uh, they, they, they've sent a letter to, um, uh, to the club asking Ron Gourlay as well for, uh, for, for clarification around this loan. And then they, they've published that as an open letter as well. So as you say, it's important that they do keep that relationship with, with the club because they are asking the club for, uh, for answers. They're not, they're not almost going as a, as a, as a rebellious sort of, um, anti-club, um, uh, organization. They want, they want to talk. It, you know, it's up to the club whether they decide to, but they, they have given the, the club and Ron Gourlay the opportunity to respond. Yeah, exactly. Um, and that's important. So I think if people do want more action to be, to be done, um, well, I think as a group action for our winner, actually, from what I've seen, they seem to be open to people suggesting ideas rather than people just saying not enough's being done. Um, obviously they'll want to keep it, um, in this similar to manner, similar manner to what they have been doing in terms of lawful and, well, peaceful, I like, I guess, protests. Um, so I think that's important to them and, and, um, yeah, obviously we've got the investigation into the initial loan that was loaned to West Brom Holdings. Is it the company that owns the the majority of the shares? Um, yeah, the, the, the Jeremy well. Peace loan. That's obviously not uh, it's not related to the current ownership, but but more to more to the previous ownership. Yeah, and which has obviously been passed on to the current ownership after the purchase of the the holding company. But that's coming up as well. I think that's now an external investigation. Is that? Am I correct in saying as, that? that as was... I understand it, they've they, they've appointed an uh, an external um, investigator. So the the club have appointed them, but they are they, they are independent from the uh, from the club. If that if that entirely makes sense. By the way, just just to clarify on this, these this is mine and Pete's interpretations of the of the situation. You know, we are by no means consider ourselves. Pete has a lot more financial background than I do, but nonetheless, we don't consider ourselves football finance experts. So please, anything that you do here on here is our opinion and our interpretation. Please don't take it as gospel, but that's as I understand it, Pete. Yeah, and I'm the same. And not to try and plug any more podcasts, but I imagine the Price of Football podcast with Kieran Maguire will be covering the story. We were mentioned on there um, uh, uh, last week for anybody who wants to go and find it. Yeah, that was... About the investigation about the Jeremy Peace loan, I think, and unless I've missed something, I don't think it was too heavily about the MSD loan that we're taking out. I could be wrong there. You could be about to tell me I'm wrong, but no, no, I think you're correct. Okay, so yeah, I'd expect the MSD loan that is almost guaranteed to go through to be covered on that shortly as well. So it's probably worth keeping your eye out um, if you're interested in that because they will be able to tell you a lot more than. And a lot more accurately than what what me and Chris can hear, but from what I see, it's it's really not good news for the club. And hopefully, action for Albion can keep pushing and, and start to get some answers. Absolutely, and I think in the meantime, Pete, I, I think I think you know I'm not going to speak for you, but certainly I just encourage fans to make their voice heard. As I say, I believe the 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 the, the protest by Action for Albion to all be peaceable and. I just encourage people to 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 engage with them, to get to get involved with them, to to do shine a light, to hold up the white paper. If you want to do the sit in, go for it. 
I, I, you know, these are all very, these are all peaceful protests, um, and and I, I want them to remain so. And I won't support anything that that it, that encourages violence or or, or law breaking. But I think at the moment, action for Albion are the right side of the line, and I think people engaging and getting involved with them, I I think is the right thing to do because I think as on mass we need to show a united front that we are very much behind the manager and the players and what is going on on the pitch, but we are very anti the way that our football club is being run. Well said. And that, yeah, I'd say that sums up my feelings towards the situation as well. Great stuff. Well, we'll leave it there for, for this week. We've actually done, done a little bit longer podcast than I, I expected to, but to be honest, I, I thought it would be deeply, deeply remiss of us to not spend a little bit of time on the MSD holding stuff because it's just, whilst things are wonderful on the pitch, it's important to to not forget that they are not wonderful off it. And whilst Carlos Corbran is doing an unbelievable job for our football club, there are very concerning things going on behind uh, behind the scenes that do need to be talked about and addressed. And as I say, support the team, support the manager. Yes, 100%, because they are being fantastic at the moment. But there, uh, this ownership, until until they show that they are good custodians of this football club, certainly from my point of view, and I think Pete echoes this view, have none of my support until they show that they have the club's best interests at heart and until they show that they can be good custodians of this football club. I don't think that they deserve your support. And in actual fact, I think they they, they deserve to hear your dissenting voices if you are concerned about the way that they're running your football club. That's my personal opinion. Until next time anyway, thanks for listening and up the baggies. Albion have certainly been sharing the goals around this season. They're well into double figures now for different championship goal scorers. So why not take a leaf out of their book and do some sharing of your own with a McNugget share box? Order McDelivery now on the McDonald's app. You in? At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. And there it is. That's as good as it gets on this stage. Nissan Townstar EV strikes again. It's an unstoppable van. Unstoppable. Look, just fantastic. You can actually see the ProPilot technology in action. Effortless parallel parking. It moves with all the confidence that comes with a five-year warranty. And with a bench full of all-star van experts, there's real strength in depth here. That's all-star quality. Search Nissan Townstar EV and visit your local all-star van centre to see for yourself. Terms and conditions apply. Five years or 100,000 miles, whichever comes first. ProPilot is an advanced driver assist technology. Driver's responsibility to stay alert, drive safely and control vehicle at all times. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.